Mark chapter 10 in your Bibles this morning. Mark chapter 10. We continue our Sunday morning study in the Gospel of Mark. We're making our way through. We are, and we get to chapter number 11. We will be, we've seen Mark chapter 1 through, 1 through 10 has been a, really the life of Jesus. And we get to chapter 11 and following through the rest of the book, um, we've spent 10 chapters looking at the life. We'll spend uh, nearly six chapters just dedicated into one week. And, and that's sort of events surrounding uh, the death, burial, and the resurrection. So we're making our way, and Jesus is making his way toward Jerusalem. So we continue our study this morning as Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for that which is to come. And, and so before we read the scriptures, some of you may be wondering where we're at with the building project. We are, Lord willing, the lumber will be delivered here on Tuesday, and the framers will be here on Tuesday Maybe Wednesday, so that'll be exciting by the time you get here next week. Maybe we'll have a roof and uh, some walls out there. Walls come before the roof, right? And uh, maybe we might move church out there if that'd be okay with you. Um, So we're looking forward to that just in case some of you may have questions about that. Mark chapter number 10. The title of a message this morning is God's Gold Medal Winners. God's Gold Medal Winners. Mark chapter number 10, begin reading in your Bibles, verse number 35, reading, follow along as I read aloud. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. Wow, what a powerful statement. We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given unto them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. So shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That being our key verse in the entire book of Mark's gospel, that verse number 45. And we see the story that led up to Jesus saying the purpose, the reason for his coming to planet earth. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, 
This morning, I just want us to consider some thoughts. This morning will be a two-part message. We will uh, begin the message this morning, and we'll, Lord willing, complete it this evening. So I trust that you'll be back in your place uh, beginning at 6 o'clock this evening. We mentioned the title of the message, God's Gold Medal Winners. We all know that the Olympics began this past Friday in Tokyo, Japan. Even though they tell us that no one's there in the stands to watch them, they're actually happening. Uh, It's quite interesting. They have no one really there. They're not letting people in because of the state of emergency with regards to COVID there in that part of the world. But uh, nonetheless, they are taking place. Uh, They tell us that there are 11,326 athletes competing in 333, excuse me, 339 events that will take place over these next few days. There will be over 41 different sports that these events will take place. So a little over 11,000 athletes. There will be 339 gold medals awarded. 339 of them. Each of these gold medalists will take his place on top of that, that, that podium. It's different levels you, you regard. I saw, read a little article recently where it's one of the Olympics that they ha- all had them on the same level. And it was quite a scandal uh, with regards to that. But to be a gold medal winner is you stand a little bit higher than those who are either on the bronze or the silver. So you're a little bit higher there and you're recognized as such. By receiving that gold medal, the athlete will be considered the world's greatest in that particular area, in that particular arena, in that particular sport. The world's greatest. With that gold medal comes all sorts of uh, popularity, comes all sorts of things that will come along with it. Get your face on a Wheaties box. Do they still do that kind of thing these days? Some of you probably got some of those things at home. And get your face on one of those. Most of the athletes will spend, literally leading up to this point, most of these athletes will spend the most of their lives up to this point training, preparing, competing, and working hard and sacrificing in order to win that gold medal and, and be considered, after winning it, the world's greatest. With the gold medal comes the title, again, of the greatest athlete and With that title comes popularity, it comes prestige, it comes with it also pride. Pride is something that comes with it. Now, I'm not all against pride, and that's the topic of the message this morning. I'm not speaking totally against this idea of pride. I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be uh, born in these United States of America. But I want to mention and want to speak this morning with regards to a different kind of pride that tends to come into our lives and a different kind of pride that overrides even that of patriotism. In our text this morning, we have the story of these two disciples, James and John, who they sought after the gold, if you will. They desired the gold. They desired to be the greatest And so then they come to Jesus and they ask Jesus this question. James and John, another place in the scriptures, in the gospels, they're called the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. And there's a reason behind that. It'd be a good Bible study for you if you want to figure that one out. 
But in Matthew's account, we didn't read this morning, but if we were to do that, we could go back into Matthew's account. And they tell us that these sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came with their mother. They brought their mother along with them. In fact, Matthew tells us, and Matthew kindly leads us to believe and sees us really quite frankly, that it was their mother who was asking the question for the two boys. The mother was asking the question for James and for John. Jesus, grant, she says, Jesus, grant that these my two boys, my two sons, may sit one on the right side and the other on the left side in thy glory or in thy kingdom. These sons of thunder, as they are called, as I mentioned earlier in the Gospels, they didn't mind Jesus being on top of the podium, being in the center of attention. They didn't mind Jesus being there in that top place. They didn't mind Jesus getting most of the glory. They didn't mind if Jesus got um, the recognition, but they just wanted to make sure they got some too. They wanted to make sure that some of what Jesus was getting would splash over on to them. They didn't mind Jesus receiving the recogni- being recognized as the greatest. They just wanted to make sure that they were on the podium with him. Standing beside him, standing with him, so that they might be seen as Jesus, as they're standing on that podium, they too might be seen as the greatest. After all, they're standing there with the king, standing there with literally the king of kings and lord of lords. Wow, you, you, could, you couldn't deny Jesus is great, but the people would think, here Jesus is at the top, but wow, look at these Two boys. Look at these James and John. We know who they are. We know where they've come from. Look at them now. Look how far they have come. Uh, They are great too. After all, they're standing there side by side with Jesus. It's almost as if, Lord, we deserve it, so let us be great with you. Lord, we deserve it, so let us be great with you. Out of our text this morning, I want to break this down into four particular points, and we'll just touch on the one this morning, but we'll come back and pick up the other three, and the other three won't be near as long as the one. So please come back this evening. We'll break it down this way. We'll look at this text from the problem of greatness, the promise of greatness, the plan of greatness, and the pattern of greatness. First, notice with me, and we'll look at this this morning, the problem of greatness. Lord, let us set one on the right and one on the left. It's an issue of greatness. Here we see the problem of greatness. Let us be great with you. Let us be part of the greatest. I do think it's interesting that these aspiring men of greatness, these who are aspiring to be great, sent mama to ask the question for them. (laughs) It just doesn't quite fit for me. I don't know about you, that doesn't quite fit the bill. In my mind, the greatest is not, hey, mama, would you come and ask for us? Would you come and ask Jesus to give us what we would like to have? Sounds more like two kids hiding behind their mother's skirt as she addresses the principal of the schoolhouse. I see... 
fearfulness, but I don't really see gratefulness here in these particular in this particular situation out of James and John. But that's not the biggest problem here. That's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem here, I believe, in what Jesus is dealing with in the life of these, because now it's the third time they've come to Jesus and asking who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. The problem that's here in this text, and I believe it's being addressed out of this text, is the problem of pride. The problem of pride. Thomas Paine said, the, great, the true greatness of a nation is founded on principles of humility, not pride. Here we see the problem of pride. These men were more concerned about their prestige, more concerned about their popularity, and more concerned about their position among men than they were concerned about the praise and the glory of God. Who might see them? Who might recognize them more than that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? They wanted their own praise. The problem was... They were driven by pride. They were driven by pride. Now, is pride an issue that we all need to be careful of and a pride an issue that we all need to be concerned about? I think so. Because pride is something that wells within, up within all of us. Listen to some scriptures. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are abomination unto him. In verse number 17, he mentions the very first thing that's mentioned that God hates is a proud look. A proud look. Proverbs 8 and 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. The evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Proverbs 16 and 18. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's no need to be mistaken from the Bible here. No need to be mistaken from the words of God about how God thinks and about how God thinks about the matter of pride. Pride. The Bible says that he hates it. Really, pride, if you think about it, pride is being consumed with self. Being consumed with self. Uh, 1 Peter 5 and 5 he, being God, resisteth the proud. The Bible is full of stories of how proud people, of how being prideful, how it brought destruction into the lives of those that were this way, and who allowed this issue to come into their lives. We think of Pharaoh, what a proud man he was. The plagues that came through Egypt. I'll not let them go. I'll not let them go. And, and it brought even to the point where he was uh, willing. And he lost his, his children. He lost his firstborn because of pride. And there at, at the, 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 the sea, the sea, uh, his entire army and Pharaoh went into that army and he was drowned. He lost everything due to pride. Israel, the entire nation of Israel carried away into captivity. Why? Because of pride. Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, Great Babylon, the, 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 the city, uh, the, the empire uh, fell because of pride. Belshazzar, you remember the story of the handwriting on the wall. It was all, he fell that one evening, that one night, he fell because of pride. Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible tells us that he took 
upon himself. And he says, look what I've done. Look what a great kingdom I built. It's all because of who I am. And the Bible tells us that because of his pride that God struck him. And he literally lived in the fields with the cattle. And the Bible says that his hair grew, grew so long it looked like feathers. And his, his fingernails got so long that it, they looked like claws. And he, he ate from the grass of the field until he came to his senses. And he recognized it had nothing to do with him but had everything to do with God. You see, it was pride. They lived like a beast literally in the fields. But the great fall of all was the fall of Satan, Lucifer in the Bible. If you'll go with me to Isaiah chapter number 14, hold your place in Mark and go to Isaiah chapter number 14. The greatest fall of all due to pride that we see in the scriptures is that of Satan himself and his fall due to pride. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which disweaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will set also upon the mound of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Here we see the fall because of pride. Pride is the root of the first sin in the garden. Uh, as God said, it was the root of the first sin of the garden, and we still reel from that today. Ye shall be like God. You shall be like God. And it was pride that brought this forth. Pride is the source of all sin. It's the source of all temptation. It's based upon, pride is based upon self-gratification. Self-expression and self-love. Pride is based upon these things. The Bible is clear, pride is sin. But that's not the case in society today. The Bible is clear about proud or being prideful is sinfulness. But in society today, pride is not seen as something that's wrong, but seen as something that's good. Seen as something that's good. Society today is proud of its sin. It's proud of self. It's proud of immorality. Pride is a virtue that's promoted and proclaimed. In social media today, we think about just the YouTube. Who's it? Who's the tube? You. It's a way to express yourself. It's a way to show yourself. It's a way to be seen. It's a way to be heard. The entire month, an entire month has been set aside and they call it Pride Month. The sin of pride is flaunted and promoted and nearly every, nearly every corporation, every known corporation, named corporation in America has joined hands to celebrate pride. Nearly all have come together to celebrate pride. 
No society, understand please, no society can survive the self-destructiveness of a generation of prideful people. Pride in and of itself is destructive. Pride eats up everything that's around it. Pride runs rampant and it runs unchecked and it runs unabated. Then it is to be the destruction of a whole generation now has this mindset. And it's what's being taught in our public systems. It's what being ta- is being taught in our school systems on every level of education. It's all about pride. It's all about you. When any group of people become committed only to themselves and their own self-interest alone become intoxicated with drunken pride that group of people devour one another in the effort to be at the top they begin to devour one another in an effort to be the one at the top of the podium all's left is me and me alone it's all about me and what I think and what I say Pride will devour the family. Devour the family. It'll devour your friends. Uh, These things are mere stepping stones, if you will, to the achievement of self-gratification. Is it any wonder that the family structure is being attacked so much in these days? The husband and wife. What is marriage? Gender. All of these things is being attacked. Why? Because they stand in the way. The the fundamentals of life and the existence of a society, these things now stand in the way of our self-gratification. So what do we do? We must do away with them. We now make those things the problem. They're the things that are in the way of us pleasing ourselves. There are things that are in the way uh, because of the intoxication of self. And all that matters is my self-promotion, my self-esteem, my self-fulfillment, my self-glory, and my self-pleasure. Today's society is built upon the promotion of self. It's all around us. It's built upon the promotion of self. There are tons and tons of Self-awareness and self-advancement books, seminars, conferences, and magazines, organizations, all promoting, guess who? You. All promoting you. It's estimated that the self-help industry, the, the books, the publishing aspect of that just alone is a $45 billion a year industry. Books that promote, be you, achieve you, look the best you, advance you, you be heard, you be seen, you get noticed. There's an ugly cult of selfism that is sweeping our world and it's so demanding and so destructive that it'll be the fall of a nation. It would be the fall of these United States. It's so destructive and so demanding 
Pride consumes everything in its path. It demands that I am the last man standing. Pride makes sure that I am at the top and you're somewhere beneath me. A society that demands self to be the God. Really, self is the God. And all that you see and all that you hear these days and all the things that are taking place, self is the God. And because of this, when self becomes the God, society is doomed. It will consume itself from within. We're living in a selfie generation in love with self, no doubt. No doubt in love with self. Listen to Proverbs 16 and 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join hands, even though they come together in their proud ways and they join hands, the Bible says, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 1, 38 and 6. The proud God knoweth afar off. In other words, God's not close to that crowd. God didn't hear that crowd. God's not involved in that crowd. The proud he knoweth afar off. Proverbs 11 and 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Boy, is America in shame more than any time in its history than it is today. We just see the shame of America that's being flaunted. Job 35 and 12, the proud cry out, but God does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Even when they cry out, God does not hear, God does not answer because of the wickedness of the evil. Psalm 10 and verse number 4. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. A prideful man does not seek after God. A prideful nation will not seek after God. A proud individual, a a man that's so intoxicated with self, a generation that's so intoxicated with themselves, can only think of themselves. I believe that pride is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. What caused Lucifer's fall? It was pride. It's the spirit of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is himself of Satan. Look with me at 1 John chapter number 2, please. 1 John chapter number 2, verses 16 through 18. 1 John 2 Verses 16 through 18. The pride of the Antichrist. Verse 16 of 1 John 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. What is the sign of the Antichrist? It's that of a proud look. I will set myself in the place of God. 
I'll be like the most holy. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 verses 3 and 4. If you'll turn to the left just a few pages. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Let's go back up to read verses 1 2 to get the context. Now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That by our gathering together unto him. And by our gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Neither by spirit nor by word. Nor by letter as from us. As that the day of Christ is at hand. They thought the day of Christ had already come. They thought maybe they had missed it. Verse number 3. Let no man deceive you. By any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Look what verse 4 says. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Or that is worshipped. So that he as God setteth in the temple of God. Showing himself that he is God. We are living in this falling away period. I believe that we may be at the end of the falling away period. The spirit of Antichrist is here. The prideful spirit of Antichrist has already come. We are living in the last days. The period, this last day period is the period that literally all that we are waiting for is the catching away of the church, the rapture. These are the last days. How do we know this? Because of the pride that this world flaunts and claims and says this is life. Set itself above God. Set itself as God. We are living in the last days. The rapture is apt to take place at any time. The rapture, the saints will be caught up. And by the way, praise the Lord, we're not appointed unto wrath, amen. I don't care what some theologians say. I don't care what some scholar says. I'm not going to be here during that time period. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. When the saints are caught up, the rapture, the saints of God are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And there shall we ever be with the Lord. Then, then begins that wrath of God that's poured out upon planet earth. But even in that period, even when we get to the second half of the tribulation, you read in the Revelation when literally hundred pound hailstones are, are dropping upon the earth and pestilence and war and, and all sorts of things are breaking out and men are in torment because of the wrath of God. They will even at that point shake their fist in the face of God and say, who are you? Pride cometh before destruction, before a fall. We are living in these last days. The problem with greatness, the greatness that the world promotes is the problem of pride. And today's pride will lead to tomorrow's destruction. Jesus, it's amazing, Jesus turns 
the world's greatness upside down. Go with me to Mark chapter number 10 again. He turns the world's greatness, the world's pride upside down. Look at Mark 10 and we'll come back and pick these up again this evening. But as we close this morning, I want you to see what Jesus says with regards to this matter of pride. Verses 43 through 45. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you shall be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatness sought after by the world is 100% opposite of the greatness that comes God's way. Completely opposite of the greatness that comes God's way. It's not self-serving. It's not self-promoting. It's not self-glorifying. It's serving others. That's God's way. Greatness does not come by saying, look at me. Greatness does not come by saying, let me be noticed. Let me be heard. Let me demand my rights. What about us? Greatness comes by serving others. That's God's way. Many would be familiar with the the pyramid schemes. You ever been caught up in a pyramid scheme? Everybody have, have a, a buddy that comes and says, yeah, I got this pyramid thing, you know, where you're, you're selling something and they're at the top of the pyramid and you're somewhere underneath them and the more you sell, the better off they do. In other words, you're serving them. Jesus turns that thing right upside down. He says, it's not about that at all. The servant is the one that's at the bottom of the pyramid. People above him are the ones that he's serving. The people above him are the ones that he's ministering to. It's all about people serving the Lord and loving God and serving him. Some of the greatest people in the world are not, are not found out there. They're not found out there. The greatest people in the world are found in places just like this. Local churches. Where people love people, where people serve people, where people pray for people, where people care for people, where people give for people, where people send the gospel message, the death, burial, and the resurrection literally around the world. That's where you find the greatest people. People who will be willing to sacrifice something of this world so that they might go themselves. Put off something of this world so they might send somebody else. Sacrifice uh, popularity and prestige and even finances so that they might raise their children to love God and keep them in church, even though the world says you're crazy. Some of the greatest people in the world are not out there, they're in here. Places just like this. Serving God by serving others. Now, let me just say there's nothing wrong with promotion. I'm not talking against promotion. I'm not all against promotion. The Bible speaks of these things. The Bible says when Jesus comes, he'll have a reward with him. He'll come bringing his reward. I'm not talking about promotion, but I'm talking about promotion God's way. It's not about who's serving me, but it's about 
me serving somebody else. The Bible says in verse number 43, note in your Bible, underline the word in verse number 43. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. That word minister is where we get our word deacon from. Uh, Back in that time period, it was, uh, it was seen as the one who was serving tables. The deacon serving tables. It was the, the waiter. It was the one caring for the needs of somebody else. That's the deacon. And by the way, that's still the biblical definition of a deacon today. He says it's, it's not about uh, who all's come to minister to you. And, and, and I, I get a little weary these days. I get, I'll be honest with you. I, I, sometimes I get a little uh, unnerved when I hear people say, what's that church doing for me? That church hadn't done anything for me. I'm getting nothing down there at that church. It makes me a little bit uneasy. Because it's not about me. It's about him. It's about his glory. And when I put his glory first, and when I put him first, then my needs are met. Then God blesses. God comes alongside. When I become the deacon in the church, not by way of an office, but by way of life, then that is what makes the difference. He says, let him be the minister. But he intensifies it. Verse number 44. He goes a little step further here, Jesus does. And he intensifies it. He goes from that of being a minister, a table waiter, someone that's caring for somebody else. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, who will be the greatest, who will be at the, the, standing at the top of the podium, who's going to be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. Now Jesus Again, he intensifies it. He says, the servant of all. Uh, this word is doulos. It's the, it's the word that literally means slave. Slave? The one who's a slave. This is God's description of greatness. It's not the world's description. It's God's description. The slave, the, the one that... that does the bidding of his master. The one that does not own himself, but God owns. We've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God. We belong to him. We're to be ministers. We're to be servants of all. The best way we can be a servant in this generation is to give the gospel. To be faithful in the house of God. To serve the Lord. The servant of all. Love people. Luke 14 and 11. And I'm closed. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The way up, biblically, is the way down. May God help us to be God's people. Not that we might be seen. So many unsung heroes. So many people who would not be recognized. Who are not out front. But yet doing the work of the ministry. Just simply being faithful. Loving people. Serving God. Those my dear friend. I think when we get to heaven. 
we may very well be surprised at all who were faithful. Because simply, they said, you know what I'm going to do with my life? I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love people. I'm going to give the gospel. And I want God to work through me. Do you know him today? It's a place to begin. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you died today, you have that 100% assurance. Can you take the Bible and give a reason from the Bible as to why you know you're on your way to heaven? Not a religious reason. Not a thing that you've done kind of reason, but a Bible reason. Can you do that today? Has your life exhibited the life of a changed, born-again believer in Christ? Has our life exhibited that of a minister, that of a servant, that of a slave, so that we might be great in God's kingdom? That's what makes the difference. If you don't know him today as your personal Savior, I invite you, beg you, plead with you to accept him. Maybe some of us just need to get our priorities rearranged. Say, God, use me. Help me to be that servant. For your namesake. Let's bow together in prayer please.